I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Here's my coffee. And I am Page, your caffeine-inundated host. And today we're going to continue on in our discussion in Exodus chapter 29. Today's going to be all about the consecration of the priests. A lot of powerful symbolism here and that applies to us today, believe it or not. And so let's just... Without any further ado, just wade right in, jump right in on this thing. Chapter 29. This is what you are to do to consecrate them, Aaron and his sons. And by the way, consecrate means to make them holy or to set them apart from their fellow Israelites in God's service. Um, this is an important distinction. God's creating two categories of Israelites, the priests and then the non-priests. This is... this. This means a lot, and we'll get into that more down the road. But two two categories, priests and non-priests. So they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect. And from the finest wheat flour, make round loaves without yeast, thick loaves without yeast, and with olive oil mixed in, and thin loaves without yeast, and brushed with olive oil. The sacrifice, no yeast. Yeast represents impurity. Put them in a basket and present them along with the bull and the two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Now, something to consider here. Everything the priests have to do before they can minister on behalf of the non-priests, the rest of, the rest of Israel, and on behalf of each other, renders them ceremonially, ceremonially pure for the moment. In other words, something that has to be repeated again and again and again. This is a foreshadowing of our high priest, Jesus, whose purity enables him to be our high priest forever. So what the priests have to do again and again and again in order to be ceremonially pure, in order to represent God to the rest of the non-priest, Israel, Jesus did for us once. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod. Here's that picture there. Uh, Shows the robe. We talked about that yesterday. The ephod itself and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and fasten caps on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. Then you shall ordain or set apart Aaron and his sons. Bring the bull to the front of the tent of the meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head. This is important. Priests laid their hands on the bull calf to symbolize 
personal identification and substitution in the sin offering. In other words, the sacrifice was going to be in place of the priests. Or another way of saying it is, God requires blood and a life in order to atone for sin. And by placing their hands on the bull calf, they are symbolizing the fact that this bull is taking their place to meet the price that God has set for dealing with sin. Slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood out and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then take all the fat on the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver and both kidneys with the fat in them and burn them on the altar. But burn the bull's flesh and its hide and its intestines outside the camp. It's a sin offering. Take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, take the blood, splash it against the sides of the altar. Cut the ram into pieces and wash the internal organs and legs, putting them with the head and the other pieces. Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It's a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. Now take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, and take some of its blood and put it on the lobes of the right ears, of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Then splash blood against the sides of the altar, and take some blood from the altar, some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons and their garments, and then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. Take from this ram the fat, the fat tail, the fat in the internal organs, the long lobe of the river, both liver, both kidneys with the fat on them and the right thigh. This is the ram for the ordination. And from the basket of bread made without yeast, which is before the Lord, take one round loaf, one thick loaf with olive oil mixed in and one thin loaf. Put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons and have them wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. Then take them from their hands and burn them on the altar along with the burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord, a food offering presented to the Lord. After you take the breast of the ram for Aaron's ordination, wave it before the Lord as a wave offering, and it will be your share. So certain sacrifices from this point forward that the people would bring, a portion of what the animal was brought would actually become food for the priests themselves to consume. They'd sacrifice some of it, wave offering before the Lord, and then they would set some of it aside and that would be for them to eat. Consecrate those parts of the ordination ram that belong to Aaron and his sons, the parts that they're going to eat. The breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. This is always to be the perpetual share from the Israelites for Aaron and his sons. It is the contribution the Israelites are to make to the Lord from their fellowship offerings. The Levitical priesthood, which is what we're talking about here, they would not own any land when they get into the promised land. And we'll see all that as this unfolds. Their portion was to be provided to them from God. And God said, a portion of the sacrifices that are brought, certain sacrifices, will provide your food. You will take your food from part that's sacrificed and given to God. Aaron's sacred garments will belong to his descendants so they can be anointed and ordained in them. 
The son who succeeds him as priest and comes to the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place is to wear them seven days. Take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in a sacred place. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for their ordination and consecration, but no one else may eat them because they're sacred. And if any of the meat of the ordination ram or any bread is left over till morning, burn it up. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. Do for Aaron and his sons everything I've commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by making atonement for it and anoint it to consecrate it to set it apart. For seven days, make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar will be most holy and whatever touches it will be holy. This is what you are to offer in the altar regularly each day. Two lambs, a year old, offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. With the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of a hen of oil from pressed olives and a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. And there also I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am. That name sound familiar? I am? I am the Lord their God. All right, couple thoughts here, and then we'll be done. The peace offering shows that worshipers in the Old Testament were not any more responsible for their salvation and worshipers. Excuse me, let me rephrase this. The peace offering shows that the worshipers in the Old Testament were not any more responsible for their salvation than worshipers in the New Testament. Throughout the ages, people have been tempted to think that these sacrifices create God's favor. In other words, you sacrifice the animal, God is pleased and you dodged a bullet until the next sacrifice is needed. This belief is evident in our modern understanding of a peace offering as a propitiation for wrongdoing. When you think about what a peace, when you're making peace with somebody, you're, uh, you're soothing their temper, you're um, offering something to solve a problem but that isn't what the peace offering really was in the Old Testament. Only Christ's sacrifice creates favor with God and covers wrongdoing. And the Old Testament sacrifices were a picture of that future provision. It, it, it was like when, we, you know, when two people are angry and one of them makes a peace offering to the other, they're doing something to incur the other person's favor. It's on them. They are doing something that creates favor with that other person. That's not what a peace offering in the Old Testament was. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice, God's wrath, death, 
was visited on that animal instead of you. That's grace. If we were to take, put it in a modern perspective, it'd be if there was, if there was a, uh, an argument between two people, a third party would come in and take the punishment of death upon themselves, removing the reason for there to be any more arguing between these two people. I mean, that's, that's how incredible what God did for us was. These sacrifices that we just read about in order for, for the ordination of the priests represent God saying death is required. Blood is required in order for us to have fellowship. And when you put your hands on these sacrifices, these bulls, Aaron and sons, you are recognizing the fact that death is required but God is not going to require your death for your sins. This bull will be a substitute. There were under the old covenant sacrifices intended, intended to represent propitiation. That's what we've been talking about. But with the understanding that God has always been a God of grace. He's always been, it's always been grace. All these sacrifices we see here represent God telling us blood is required and a life must be given in order to restore right relationship between us and he. His grace is seen in the fact that he does not require our blood and our lives. Instead, a substitutionary sacrifice is given in our place, here in the tabernacle. The animals are sacred instead of the priests. <laughs> That's a typo. Here in the tabernacle, the animals are sacrificed instead of the priests for their sins. This foreshadows the day when our Messiah would be our substitutionary sacrifice. Now, death is required for sin. If you do not, if you do not bow your knee to the Savior, in essence, put your hand out on the Savior and allow him to be your substitutionary sacrifice, then the death will be yours that's required. But death is required. A substitution has been provided. A propitiatory sacrifice has been provided in the form of the Lamb of God. And if you do not bow your knee to him, then in essence you're saying, my death will pay the price. Now, understand here that death isn't just the cessation of this life in our body. Death is separation. That's what it is. There's a first death where our spirit is separated from our body. This earthly tent that we live in, it dies. And the spirit is separated from that. But then there is a second death where you are separated from God. That's hell when you go to hell. When you do not accept the fact that there is a substitutionary sacrifice given on our behalf so that we can have... So when you have relationship with God, when you do not accept that, then your death will cover the cost. And what's, your, what's that death? Separation from God. If you will not accept the substitutionary atonement of Christ, then you are in essence saying, I would rather live in eternity 
without you, God. And he will say, I'll give you what you want, an eternity without me. And that's what hell is. Hell is a place where God is not. And you stop and think about the horrific nature of what I just said. Even in our world of evil, there are forces of good that hold evil at bay. The Holy Spirit of God, godly people, godly men and women and children, that just by their being involved in this day-to-day life, act as a buffer and they temper the full force of the evil that could be unleashed. If all the godly people in this world were removed, if God stepped back and stepped out of this world and left man entirely to his own devices, the evil that would be unleashed would be unimaginable. In the New Testament, there's, I think it's in Thessalonians, Paul's writing says, when he that restrains is removed, talking about the Holy Spirit, and there will come a day when that will happen. When he that is restrained, that is moved, then the, then the one who is the most ungodly of all, Antichrist, will be revealed. Ugly times. These sacrifices are a picture of God telling us, I have provided a way for you into my presence to be my priests. The blood of these sacrifices is a picture of the one-time sacrifice that will come in the future from here. These are foreshadowing, looking forward to the time when the Lamb of God becomes our sacrifice. So every time you see a sacrifice in the Old Testament, it's going to be and it's going to be another picture of what God is doing, allowing, in order for us to have fellowship with him as priests. He's providing a substitute. All right. I really wish I could find some of my Jewish friends that could sit down and tell me more about these sacrifices and what they mean and what they symbolize at a deeper level, perhaps some other day. Until then, folks, here's my coffee. I'm Paige, and I am out of here. Bye-bye. You know, this thinking with my mouth open sometimes can be awkward uh, because this is how I solve problems. I solve them verbally. I just trot the facts out and kind of meander my way through them and looking for solutions. It took my wife years and years and years to realize that I wasn't making some foolish pronouncements about things I was going to do when I was facing a big decision because sometimes the things I consider are pretty dumb. But I have to. But as I work through them, I filter out the dumb ones and almost always have ended up at a good solution. As I'm working through these different sacrifices in the Old Testament, not being of Jewish extraction and not having a Jewish heritage and culture to rely on to provide me with more information on these sacrifices, I know that to some of my Jewish friends that some of the stuff I might be saying might come off as a little dumb. Uh, And I apologize for that. 
but I do know that I'm not wrong in this. These sacrifices represent the ultimate sacrifice. And as the priests lay their hands on these sacrifices, they're recognizing the fact that God has provided a substitution for them so they can continue breathing. It's good stuff here. All right. Have yourself a great day. Here's my coffee. Bye-bye.